0: So I started law school in 2011, and and when I applied, they sent me back my acceptance letter and said, and also, we're awarding you this scholarship for minorities. And I actually called the school because I was like, is there some confusion? Like, I actually am just like a white person who grew up 10 minutes from this school. <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> did you mean to give me this scholarship? And. And they pointed out to me, you know, that, well, that I was a woman and, and that there weren't as many women applying to law school as men. And that's why they gave me this scholarship. My name is Erin Heidrich. I am a model minority. Welcome to Model Minorities. This is a show about work and life told through
1: the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City.
2: And I'm Roman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee.
1: Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world.
2: Basically what we're all thinking about, but probably not talking enough about.
1: Whether you're black, white, brown, yellow, gay, straight, boy, girl, or anything in between.
2: This is a show about all of you for all of us.
1: Today, we're talking to Aaron Hydrick, an employment lawyer in Cincinnati, Ohio.
2: Yeah, Sharon, I think this might be our first two-parter.
1: It is. It is. It's part two of two of the Carl and Aaron miniseries.
2: The, the model minority majority power couple. <laughs> um, if you've listened to our last episode, um, or if you didn't, hit pause now, go listen to the last one. Actually, listen to this one and then go listen to the Carl one. But last week, we spoke to um, Carl Preissner, who works at diversity and inclusion at one of the bigger companies in America. And um, we knew his wife was an employment lawyer and was just as civically minded and engaged. And that's why we wanted to talk to Aaron and have a similar conversation.
1: Yeah. And I have to say, our conversation with Aaron was, maybe I'm biased because I'm a woman, but I, I feel like we went pretty deep with Erin and I just, I really enjoyed hearing her story and, and getting her perspectives on things. And she talked to us a lot about, well, we, we asked her a lot of questions about her career, which kind of came first in, in the conversation and told us, she told us that she always wanted to be a lawyer, even as a kid, which, you know, we kind of found interesting, like most kids.
2: But, but she became a teacher first. Right? She did.
1: Yep. So she started off as a teacher and then she became a lawyer. And she talked about her minority moment when she applied to law school. Um, she was granted a scholarship because they were supporting minorities in school. And she called up the, uh, she called the law school and she was like, do you have this right? <laughs> I'm a white woman. Like, are you giving this to the right people? And um turned out that she learned uh, that women are very underrepresented in law school. And it's something that, I can relate to going to business school. In my program, it was an executive business school program. So kind of more senior folks that were already working full-time jobs. But out of a class of, I think, 110 people or so, I was one of maybe 10 women and everybody else was a guy. So at that moment, I, I, I really felt like I could, I was totally there with her.
2: And we kind of danced around the edges and then we went full into it, but like the the perceptions and the expectations of men versus women. And mm-hmm. even, even though she didn't say it was necessarily the reason for some of the stuff in her childhood, she talks, I learned a Bible story about the prodigal son. Yeah. And that was interesting, <laughs> but just like her relationship with her siblings. And I don't like, I think it had to do with like older kid, younger kid, but like, um,
1: well, she's, she's the oldest of, was it four kids? I think. And she's the only female so she's the oldest sibling and she's i think it was three brothers but she's definitely the only girl in the family um do you have any siblings sharon i do i have a sister and a brother and i'm the oldest
2: oh yeah you're a classic oldest
1: Mm -hmm. oldest. type a how about you (laughs) you, you're the classic younger brother right
2: i i am the baby yeah i have an older (laughs) sister i could uh uh if my sister is listening, I could literally have like burned the house down and still been holding the matches. yeah, <laughs> and my sister would get in trouble for
1: it totally, so is that because of birth order or is that because of gender?
2: I, you know, I don't know. I genuinely like, look, we grew up in an Asian households. And mm-hmm. while there is a preference for male, my parents are like super progressive. Like they've always treated us equally. And my dad would even like tell all other Indian men about that. Like when they'd be like, make some comment about the girls not being as good as boys. Like he would like yell at them at these dinner parties. And that would be awkward. But right. it was like, whoa, dad, you're woke in the 80s. But no, I think it was, I was the baby. Um, and I'm charming. Come on, man.
1: Oh gosh, oh please. <laughs> well, in my household for sure, growing up in a Chinese American household, my brother, my baby brother got away with everything because he was not only the baby but he was also a boy. Yeah. So, I'm just going to say it and if you're listening Edward, I just said it. You get away with everything, you are mom's favorite.
2: <laughs> <laughs> As someone, I think Scott Galloway said, uh, parents have favorites but the favorites change. Does yeah. that make like you're a favorite one day, etc. Um But back to Erin, you know, the other, actually, here's the thing, like, why I found her being part of this conversation, not because she was a woman, but because she's an employment lawyer. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, I kind of understand it, but she was like, why people reach out for employment lawyers is not just because they have a crappy boss. Sometimes there's a lot of discrimination involved, whether you're, um, whether it's being black, white, Hispanic, male, female, old, young. And she even talked about, or help me understand the different types of lawyers and personalities. Cause like, you know, there's the classic in doctors, there's the, you know, um, if you watch scrubs, like the ER docs or the toe bros and the radiologists are the nerds and the family practice and OBGYNs are the really nice ones The stereotypes. Right. And she said that applies to lawyers as well. So Aaron absolutely fits the bill of kind of the, I don't want to call it social justice warrior, but the do-gooder that an employment lawyer must be. It's not, you're not making billions of dollars. You're not
1: billing yeah. billions or that. No. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of that. And I mean, talking to her also kind of solidified my understanding of her relationship with Carl because I think they have so much in common. And this has now become the Carl and Aaron love fest. But um, I just feel like they are such, both of them are such great people kind of like, you know, different sides of the same coin. And it was really a pleasure to have them. One last thing before we dive in was um, she came into the show mentioning that you and her had a debate earlier, (laughs) (laughs) Ramin.
2: About, You're gonna get me okay. in trouble. You're gonna get me yep, in trouble
1: sure. about fertility rights, and I'm not going to reveal exactly all of the details. But uh, listeners, if you if you stay on, you'll you'll definitely get to hear. I the, am super
2: woke, and super progressive, that. and I was yep. just arguing an edge case <laughs> from a global perspective. Um, why
1: yeah, this let, was... yeah. Why don't we let our listeners uh, <laughs> take a listen and and make their decision? So, with that said, here's Aaron Hydrick. <laughs> So, Erin, tell us a little bit about your
0: professional job. Let's start with that. What do you do?
1: Yeah,
2: why what? do they pay you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's that's something I'm I'm still trying to figure out. But um, no, I am a an employment discrimination lawyer primarily. So I represent people who have usually been terminated from their job for a discriminatory reason, um, their their age, their Sex, their religion, and I, I also have kind of a a side practice within that of school law. So I represent kids who are having some issue with school. It's usually a disciplinary issue, sometimes a special education issue. Um, so that's why they pay me. That's amazing.
2: So basically, something that just doesn't add value to society at all, right? <laughs>
1: just- <laughs> You're not making a difference for anyone, Erin. Not at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I'll say this. Most of the time, what I think the reason people reach out to an employment lawyer is just because they have a crappy boss. And sometimes it's actually discrimination and sometimes it's not. But uh, just kind of having somebody who they can bounce their feelings off of because we've all had a terrible boss, yeah, I, I think can add some value. So
2: you so part time therapist basically
0: <laughs> basically more like full time therapist part time lawyer probably. <laughs> Do you notice any trends amongst your cases?
1: I mean, not to get you know completely like super like you don't have to reveal anything confidential, but are there any common threads or any common situations that you often see across industries or across businesses?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think in the last few years. What we see a, a lot more of is like sexual harassment cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but even more than that, you know, my my boss Randy freaking likes to say that you know if even one percent of managers are terrible, we'll stay in business, and it's probably true. It I, I don't think that most companies are bad as a general practice at managing these equity issues in employment, but but there are usually enough sort of bad apples within the company that that maybe aren't checked enough to kind of create these issues. Got it.
2: Did you always want to do this when you were a kid? Like, I mean tell me in fact before that, like I want to back up. Like I know you're from Kentucky. I think is that right? That's right. That's right. right? That's right. right. <laughs> uh, fellow Southerner on the show. I um, know. Uh, yeah, unlike these, like you know, New York. You know,
1: I know just, these yeah. northeasterners. Yeah,
2: elitists, <laughs> New York City people. Um, no, so Aaron. I mean, I guess I'm curious. I know a little bit about your childhood, but can you say kind of one story that maybe informed your point of view on the world from from when you were a little girl in Kentucky?
0: <laughs> sure. <laughs> so this is this is what comes immediately to mind is, um, I'm the oldest child that I have three younger brothers and I was always sort of the, I like ex- academics came very easily to me. I was a rule follower. I was an adult pleaser. The, the brother right underneath me was not those things. Um, and we butted heads a lot. And there was this moment in, I was in probably the eighth grade and our high school's football team was going to like the state championship and the game was going to be played during the school day. So in order to go to the game, you had to miss school. And my dad told my, my younger brother that if he turned in all of his homework for a whole week without any issue that he could go to the game. But I turned my homework in all the time without bribes and still wasn't allowed to go to the game. And my dad told me the story of the prodigal son. Wait, wait, that Bible? That the, that's a Bible
2: thing, right?
0: Yes. Okay, just absolutely. making sure. And I think that that... that um, My parents were great, so this story maybe doesn't make <laughs> it sound that great. But it, it definitely conveyed to me that, like, you know what? You got to work harder than other people to get the same things that other people have. So you know, nose to the grindstone, keep at it. And I do think that created a work ethic that has allowed me to have a pretty demanding career, um, but didn't always seem fair at the time. <laughs>
2: oh, oh, no, because I genuinely want to clarify, because I don't know the story of the prodigal son. It just sounds biblical. Yeah. Um, and the way you said it. Yeah. So is that, is it kind of like the, were they indirectly or directly telling you, you're a girl, you got to work just as, uh, twice as hard. To be on the same level of men because that's how, not because of what they thought about you as a girl, but as that society's expectation is your "quote unquote" just a girl. Is that kind I of don't? What's going
0: on? I don't know if it had anything to do with the fact that I was a girl. Um, it, at least not that wasn't maybe at the forefront of their mind. But mm-hmm. the the story of the prodigal son is. Father has one one son that always does everything right, one son that's always a troublemaker, the troublemaker son disappears, goes off, creates all this havoc, comes back, and the dad throws a big party for his lost son, who has now returned and and the son who was there all the time feels very resentful of this Got right, it. but certainly, you know the fact that I was the only girl I think and, you know and I was the oldest, just kind of blended together to create this mix of we expect a lot of you and, and we're not necessarily going to reward you for doing the things that we expect.
2: Huh. Hmm. I'm a youngest and my older sister has told me and my parents, she's like, Ruman could be, have burned the house down and like holding the matches and you would get away with it. Totally. And was, yeah. But I, that, yeah. I think that's the youngest, the baby thing, but I do think, and some of these, it's not that my parents are sexist, but I do think there's a, institutionalized. You know, my dad is gone to the mat, like yelling at other Indian men at parties about like my son and my daughter are equal. So again, but at the same time, I know there's this, I think I get away with more because I'm the boy. Definitely I genuinely
1: definitely. I'm an oldest daughter as well. Well yeah, I'm the oldest child too and I'm obviously a girl, a woman. You are. And my most Shows of, most over. of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um and uh my younger brother. Who was significantly younger than my sister and myself? He's nine years younger than I am. Got away with everything. He's the only boy, and in Chinese culture, in particular, he's like mm-hmm. you know golden child. So I can relate, Aaron.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I feel heard and understood for yes. the first time, maybe ever.
1: <laughs>
2: We've totally solved it, guys. Yes, there Podcast you go. <laughs> Thank you to our get Now, um, so I mean. And what do you want to be when you grew up? Is did you I mean, you wanted to work hard because you had to. Guess, yeah. But
0: yeah. Here's the thing. I wanted to be a lawyer. Really? But oh, I wow. assumed I assumed that I could not do it.
2: Wait, when did you know what a lawyer was? Because like at six, when kids want to be an astronaut, you're like lawyer.
0: Well, my dad's a lawyer.
2: <laughs> oh, <okay.
0: laughs> oh. okay. Yeah, that okay. helps. So that and my dad actually went to law school when I. Like when I was a young kid, he was going to law school. My parents had me pretty young when they were like 21. So I knew what a lawyer was. And, Ruman, as you know from conversations we have had, I like to argue. So it seemed no. like a good I fit. do too.
2: That's why, that's why we get, I'm we get along.
0: <laughs> it seemed like a good fit. But I, I just assumed that being a lawyer was for other people. That like I wasn't good enough or smart enough to do it. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds absurd, but I like I went I went to college and there was a law school at at my college and I would walk past like the moot courtrooms and see people learning to be lawyers. And I was like, well, they they are something I'm not. So I I can't do that. And so I became a teacher instead. (laughs) I was a teacher for five years until I decided this isn't really what I want to do. What did did you teach? I taught high school English.
1: Wow. So when you changed your mind and you decided to become a lawyer, how did your parents respond to that? Did they know that as you were growing up that maybe there was there was a different career path for you? Were they surprised at all?
0: I think my parents were surprised when I became a teacher. Yeah. My whole family is very entrepreneurial. And I think this idea of like you're going to have a job and work for essentially the government for your whole life was foreign to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think when I went back to school to become a lawyer, that felt like a more natural fit to them in their minds and me and mine. That's great.
2: And you went, to, you went to law school. So you you came out of school, you taught for five years. And I feel like when we met, you were finishing law school or were you done?
0: I was probably, you know, I, I might have just started, actually. Um, okay. When Carl and I met, I, I had just started law school. So, so, yeah, yeah, this is
2: a I'm not sure if this is what order this episode will be. And this is a sequel episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is half of the
1: married couple. <laughs> <laughs> First half the second half. Did
2: you know did you want to know you want to go into employment law? Like, or do you figure that out through law no,
0: school? No. um, that happened by default. I wanted to be like a legal aid attorney, a public interest lawyer. And I worked at legal aid through much of law school trying to You know, really prove myself. But when it came time to graduate, they just didn't have openings. So I started having to look elsewhere and I sort of discovered that employment law existed um, through interviewing for jobs. And a person's job is, for most people, like a source of just a huge amount of dignity. Right. And so being able to defend people's employment. Just it, it it had some of that underdog quality that I liked about being a legal aid lawyer, so it it was a good fit.
2: Is there um I know more doctors than I do lawyers because you know brown people, but <laughs> the, I there's a, there's almost um genders and personality types that go in right. So if you've watched Scrubs, you know the Todd is a surgeon, like the frat boy kind of like adrenaline junkie. I'm oh, sorry, our surgeons, right? Same thing um, with ER docs, and then. There's a different personality for a radiologist or an OBGYN. And and honestly, some, there's gender splits, like, you know, more men tend to go into this one versus that one. It does that exist with the types of lawyers?
0: If it does, I haven't really noticed it. Um, so so I'm a plaintiff's lawyer. I I represent the employee, not the employer, right? And and then there are these big firms that represent employers, and those tend to be more the law firms that people see and movies and the people think of you know these big complex systems where people are working 80 hours a week and you know you're in a fight with other people to make partner and all of that my a, a plaintiffs firm tends to be more laid back more low-key um and because we are we just think of ourselves as more representing the underdog so I, I think there might be sort of a split plaintiffs lawyer versus defense lawyer um but in terms of the areas of practice i I haven't observed that too much. And my firm is pretty, um, like our managing partner is a woman. Uh, the last three associates they've hired, including me, have been women. So we're pretty diverse in terms of sex or gender in, in our firm, which is good.
2: And what about the uh, the bad guys? The bad guys you're
0: taking down? <laughs> I was
1: right about to ask that, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, I would say they are pretty diverse, too. I don't know what the stats are on how many women are practicing law versus men right now. I, I know that. So I started law school in 2011 and, and when I applied, they sent me back my acceptance letter and said, and also we're awarding you this scholarship for minorities. And I actually called the school cause I was like, is there some confusion? Like I actually am, just like a white person who grew up 10 minutes from this school. Like, I don't, (laughs) did you mean to give me this scholarship? And, and they pointed out to me, you know, that, well, that I was a woman and, and that there weren't as many women applying to law school as men. And that's why they gave me this scholarship.
2: Is that the first time you felt like a minority?
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I still sort of feel like I stole something that wasn't mine. Um, But I mean, it's true that that I was a minority in in terms of my my gender in in the classroom. I don't think that's the case anymore. What I've looked at lately says that there are more women than men in law schools now. So
1: I think I read that stat recently, too. Really? Yeah. Um, I think more women just overall, I believe more women have finishing degrees across industries than men do.
0: Oh, Wow. Interesting.
2: We don't need to do this podcast anymore.
1: (laughs) Sexism is solved. Yep. We solved that completely. Done. (laughs) So, in terms of solving problems, if you just looking at your own experience in the courtroom and sort of with defending the underdog, like you said, are there solutions that you can see that are either have already been taken place in the last couple of years or that you can that you would recommend to companies out there? as somebody who who's in this every day, like what are things that companies can be doing to avoid um, their overt or accidental discrimination against employees? How can they avoid your wrath, Erin? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How can they avoid sitting on the opposite side of the courtroom from you? Exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, that's a great question. And I think it's kind of two separate questions. I think the first question is how can they avoid discriminatory acts or practices in the first place? And I think that's, that's a a huge question that i probably um my my husband carl who's also appeared or will be <laughs> appearing on this podcast can talk more about because that's really what he does um and i think that just exposing people to their unconscious bias is probably the way forward in terms of opening people's eyes to how they create these discriminatory atmospheres without even really knowing it in the workplace in terms of how you can avoid um my wrath once somebody gets to me and the discrimination has already happened. I I think well, first of all, I would think um, making sure before you fire somebody that it goes through a human resources professional is pretty big. Uh, a lot of times people just aren't educated on the law and they don't realize the blatant ways they're violating it. And then and then being reasonable, right? When when somebody comes into my office and they've worked at a place for twenty five years and their performance has been great, but all of a sudden. Their performance was really bad, allegedly, in the last six months. And we got to get this 60-year-old out of here and bring in a 30-year-old. And and companies like that that just won't be reasonable and try to resolve a case um, fairly for somebody, that really starts to get me fired up.
2: Wait, when the stuff that comes across your desk, is it? Um, you mentioned a lot of it is sexual harassment. but I guess if if that is the lion's share, then I guess what's the next biggest one? Is it ageism? Is it uh, gender? what what's going on?
0: Yeah, age discrimination we see a ton of. And I think we'll see more of that as you know, we enter this recession or depression or whatever it is we are uh, heading into economically. I think it, there will be a, a mass culling of older employees in favor of younger employees is my guess. Um, when when companies have to cut back, they're going to cut older employees is it, just my hunch. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Can, can
2: I can ask a question? Um, yeah. Attorney client privilege. I, I'll go, I guess I have to pay you a dollar to get this <laughs> um, Okay. So, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic uh, as we're recording this, and I'm sure we'll still be in it when people listen to this episode. (laughs) If I were hiring and I have a sales force, right? And I have an older person who's maybe 55 or 60, and I have a younger person who's 30, and I'm like, ah, I got to put the sales guy on the road all the time. And we're kind of still in semi pandemic times. I better not hire the old person. Like, but I could be sued for that, right?
0: You could. And the first thing that, comes to mind with that is, well, you could be sued for anything, right? Uh, legitimate yeah. or not. But I think you're not allowed to base employment decisions on someone's age, first mm-hmm. of all. Um, right. And
2: even if it's a safety issue?
0: Yes. Um, and, okay. and you're okay. also not allowed to, well, there are exceptions to that, but you're also not allowed to base employment decisions on your perceptions about someone's uh. disability right mm-hmm. whether they are huh. disabled or not even if you perceive them as such that mm-hmm. is discriminatory and so I, I would think in that situation what i would argue is while well, the employer perceived this person as being at risk for something based upon you know maybe stereotypes or biases but but this person isn't actually sick and doesn't actually present any threat to themselves or to their coworkers and so that was a biased decision
2: but i mean i just want to dig on this one a little cuz we're going into like Unparalleled times with yeah. COVID right now. If you're over the age of 65, even if you need to get on a plane, like I'm telling my parents, don't get on a plane, don't go <laughs> right. to Costco, et cetera. And if the job involves you, like being an Instacart driver and going to Costco every day. Like yep. I, I, I went to get something from Wendy's the other day, um, prior to getting really bad. But you know, it was starting to heat up in the news. And I saw an old lady working at Wendy's. I felt so bad. It's definitely not my hiring decision, and it sucks that. She has to go to Wendy's to work. Yep. Um. In this moment, and but Wendy's can't make that call, right? It's the woman's decision. Yeah.
0: I mean, I would argue it's not your decision. Um. Yeah. I I feel bad for her too, but I would feel worse knowing that there's this like patriarchy that's keeping her out of yeah. work because they yeah. believe she's too fragile to work. Yeah. Um.
1: It's her call. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm just kind of reflecting on that. That's really interesting because. I've I've definitely noticed in the last ten years or so that the number of senior citizens I see at the Wendy's and the McDonald's and the Starbucks and the um the hourly wage workforce has definitely Mm -hmm. increased. And I ask myself the same thing all the time of like, how did they get there? Was it their choice? Like all of those types of questions, or even just you know, I've never had to hire, so it's not like a hiring bias. But even as I see them lifting heavy things, I'm like, oh my god! Like I'll run over and I'll offer my help, you know. So it's it's just we live in a really interesting time.
0: We do. And I it certainly the this pandemic is impacting lower wage workers, you know, more than most. I would guess that the three of us are probably our lives aren't gonna look too terribly different a year from now than they do right now. But I, I definitely feel for the Uber drivers, the Instacart deliverers, the mm-hmm. DoorDash drivers, um, the fast food workers, cause they They got to be out there interacting with the public.
2: Are you seeing, um, and again, you can totally deflect based on what you're allowed to say about work or not, but well, two questions, actually, the two sign of our times. One about COVID, anything right now about employment in COVID that you're seeing? And the other one was about just kind of gig economy. Are you getting gig economy clients that are like, Uber sucks? Help
0: me. You know, it's interesting. We don't normally, I'll answer your second question first. We don't normally get a ton of gig workers in our door and part of that may be that gig workers don't have a ton of protection. They're not employees. They're independent contractors. Mm. So the normal laws that protect employees don't apply to them. But for the first time, for instance, gig workers are able to collect unemployment um, now under the new federal legislation, which has never been the case before. Does that change
2: their classification? So do they have legal rights now?
0: they They don't. They've not been converted to employees under like Title VII, for instance, which is the big federal anti-discrimination law, but just for purposes of this pandemic, if they lose work as a result of the pandemic, they're allowed to collect unemployment benefits, which is is interesting. Um, Similarly, we're now for the first time seeing a federal entitlement to paid sick leave as a result of the pandemic, which has never been a thing before. And so I kind of wonder if our employment Laws and policies and practices are going to become more employee friendly in the long term as a result of this. I certainly hope so. And your first question, Raman, was it about just legal developments as r- related to COVID, or what was your initial? Yeah, question? yeah, it's like
2: I, it literally, is there a? As someone called up, like that scenario I said earlier, like I didn't mm-hmm. hire the sales old sales guy because which I haven't done. I don't hire people, right? But I didn't hire the old sales guy. Because I'm afraid he's gonna get COVID and die. I can't let that happen. I'm gonna hire the 30 year old. And then the six-year-old comes and sues me
0: Yeah.
2: to, you, to me.
0: So I I have um a client right now who um her employer laid a bunch of people off, but and they said it was pandemic related due to a downturn in their business. Um, but it was clear that the people they laid off were all like 60 and older while they retained a bunch of younger people. I've seen a person get fired because they are an EMT, like on the weekends, and their employer was worried about them bringing COVID into the workplace, and whether that's legal or not, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know we're gonna we're gonna figure it out.
2: Wow, I'm so glad I'm not a lawyer. Oh my
1: god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just sort of I'm, I'm thinking too. So, um, Ramen and I are technically independent contractors at the moment, yeah. And I run a team of completely. Like my entire team is independent contractors. And as you were talking just now, I was just thinking, you know, if we've had incidences where people um, had to get let go or just didn't get renewed for another project. And I've actually just run through conversations in my head of like, did I do that right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Did I say the right things? And And I never... In this in this new role, I feel like I've been a little less sensitive about that. Whereas when I've worked for corporate America, we've like you know you follow all the checklists and you talk Mm -hmm. to HR a certain number of times and there's all this protocol. But now that I'm running my own independent contractor operation, it's kind of like okay, well if we have a contract that matches your your skill set, great, you're on board. If we lose that contract, you just like there's nothing to give you and so we'll call you one day or best of luck to you on something else and that's just kind of how it goes and now I'm just wondering if if I'm even putting that into practice on in the right ways or if that could like if there are guidelines that an employer of independent contractors should be following
0: yeah well the good news is in reality most um employees who get let go do not seek out the assistance of a lawyer and as independent contractors they don't have a ton of rights. Right, um, right But I I would say that you know what every employment discrimination case comes down to is what we call pretext, right? The reason given for the termination is that legitimate? Can you support it with documents? Um, can you support it with testimony about the conversations you had with this employee? or is it clear that that reason you gave is a pretext for some other reason that you're trying to h- cover up? -hmm. And so I would say, as long as you are keeping good records and being forthcoming with your employees about what you or your independent contractors about what you tell them, then I don't think you have anything to worry about.
1: So, I guess on the flip side, if I were to kind of put myself into the shoes of someone who is an employee now at a company and they are a minority, whether it's by gender, by race, by age, and they feel uncomfortable in some way. What are some resources or where can they go for help? and what are kind of those checkpoints that they can review to make sure that it 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 really is an issue or or not because I think sometimes when when a person is in that situation they're really vulnerable and it's difficult to know when they should raise their hands and do something about it or say something about it versus um, just accepting it because it seems quote unquote normal
0: yeah the the answer probably is to talk to your human resources representative. Although as an employment discrimination lawyer, I'm not like the biggest fan of HR generally, but. No, um,
2: oh, because HR, I want to, I want to p- plug on that, Aaron, HR is there to, yeah. Aaron, HR is there to protect the company, not the people. It's literally, absolutely, it's not called people management.
0: Absolutely.
2: And I've, I've become awakened to that in the last couple of years in being involved in hiring and firing at startups. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, so I just, before you say go to HR. Okay. If I'm a person, I feel like something's happening to me. I don't want to go to HR. So who do I go to, Aaron? I can't pick up the phone and call a lawyer immediately, right?
0: You can. Go to legal
2: okay. you, can
0: you can call a lawyer. So a lot of what we do is representing employees who are still employed and are experiencing some kind of bad situation at work and just sort of walking them through. What their next steps are, right? They just—I have a lot of clients that are still employed, and they call me up and say, "This happened. How should I respond? What should my next step be?" And we can help guide them. You know, the company doesn't even know that they have a lawyer in the background, and we can sort of guide them on here's what to do to make sure that you are protected as you navigate this.
2: Hmm. So again putting myself in that employee's shoes, what would the step be? Do I just Google employment lawyer and then find one that I like, or remember the billboard I drove by? (laughs)
0: Like, (laughs) Like, yeah. Like, is there an 800 number we call? Like, Like, I would, I would direct your listeners to, um, the national employment lawyers association, which is the professional organization for employment lawyers. And there is an attorney locator function on that site. Um, where you can find an employment lawyer near you. We're
2: going to see like an uptick in lawsuits. Exactly.
0: This <laughs> Listeners
1: of Model Minorities are suing all of their bosses nationwide.
2: <laughs> we should get like a, a referral code for that website. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Enter code
2: Model Minority. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's pretty. Really just
0: clarify, you know. Um, all right. So now that <laughs> well, go ahead. <laughs>
2: No, please, cover your ass. Clarify, (laughs) clarify.
0: This is not an advertisement or a solicitation. Nothing like that. Nothing that would fall under the uh, rules of professional conduct for attorneys. Thank you. (laughs) We have to make sure that makes it into the edit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Call 555-3900. and get sued. Uh okay. So now that I th- Sharon, are we done getting free legal advice from Aaron? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually want to bring it back um a little more to you, Aaron. Um I guess, yeah, let's 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 bring it back to you. I mean, how are you the all the things you've seen and done in this last several years, and you know, seen the probably the best and the worst in, in your universe of people. Has that shifted your opinion of lawyers of what you wanted to do when you grew up? Um, I mean, how are you the same? How are you different? What are you drawing upon from call it the the pre lawyer Aaron to to post lawyer Aaron?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, what immediately comes to mind is just how much happier I am as a lawyer than as a teacher, and I I'm I'm just really glad I made the shift. It's just a better fit for me. What is nice is that I do have this little. Niche school law practice. And so I'm able to draw on my experiences as a teacher to help other people with their educational issues. So I don't feel totally disconnected from that part of my life. Um, Just personally, it has been, I mean, you heard me say earlier about how I didn't go to law school because I thought that was just for like other better people to do. And just the feeling of knowing I. I did it and I am a lawyer and, you know, I first chaired my first trial last year, you know, which is a thing a lot of people never who are lawyers never, never step inside a courtroom and never have a jury trial. Um, it's, it's a huge confidence booster for me personally, just to think, yeah, I, I could have done that all along and, and I'm doing it now and that's great.
2: So another thing I want to ask is name of the show is model minorities. Um, as a female, I mean, frankly, you guys are 50-50, but you're treated like minorities in our society. Uh, and so I guess the question is, have you had those issues, like sitting around the table at work, where you felt like you were treated differently because you were a female? Or well, how does that happen? Does it happen in the courtroom? Does Where does it happen? Or has it happened? Or maybe not at all? Have we solved it?
0: Um, we definitely haven't solved it. I would say my experience is like most women's experiences in the workplace. I... And, and like I said, my workplace is great. But, you know, just being in meetings with my colleagues or, or people outside of my firm who interrupt when I'm talking, it, it's hard to talk about these sort of I can't believe I'm going to utter the word microaggression, but like that's what it is. It, it, it's hard to talk about this feeling that you have that when you're in a room of other people that that you're just not taken as seriously because you're a woman. Um, I think that in the courtroom, that happens less, frankly, um, but certainly just sort of in more informal situations, I observe it. You know, I went to a class for for lawyers recently, and and they were talking about what women wear in the courtroom, and one lawyer said that it, he finds that juries perceive women in pantsuits or women in um, who are wearing pantsuits as being strident. And that that would be a bad thing, you know. And and so you still hear these comments that you're like, "What? Wow. Where are you from? Like, yeah. what era are you from? <laughs> what is going on?" I I still go into court in my pantsuits, just you know, striding a cell, I guess. But I, you're a rebel,
1: Erin. You are a rebel. I guess. I
0: guess. <laughs> so you know, and I just think that is. I don't want to act like I have like the universal experience, but but just these sort of comments that you hear that you're just thinking, where did that come from? And and I think, frankly, the 2016 election was a huge eye-opener for me in that I sort of really did think that we'd come some way in terms of gender bias in this country and realizing that plenty of people that I knew and loved were very happy to elect someone who felt very free to grab people's body grab women's bodies and brag about it was hugely eye-opening for me
1: wow okay so i'm going to switch gears a little bit you're married to carl who we may have already met before or we might be meeting soon on this podcast and as i hear your stories i feel like the two of you are really like a power couple in this space um tell us a little bit about how you met and also how your professional missions kind of work together and complement each other
0: yeah that's that has been an interesting journey. I think for both of us, I, I don't want to speak for him, but we, we met on match, uh, and, <laughs> <I love that>. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we met on match and, and cause I grew up in this, we, you know, we live in Cincinnati. Now I grew up in this area over the river in Kentucky. And at some point you just reach a point where you think, okay, I've met all the people that I'm going to meet organically. It's time to <laughs> to look elsewhere so (laughs) so we we met on match we dated for a couple of years we got married and when Carl and I met and when we got married he was working in R&D for Procter & Gamble so he he wasn't in this diversity space and he and I have had you know I want to tread lightly here but my experience of uh being married to somebody who switches to this career in diversity and inclusion has been one of like somebody who's who's having their eyes opened to a lot of ideas for the first time particularly about women mm-hmm. and me being like yeah, yeah, yeah of course where have you been <laughs> you know like <laughs> like him You're wanting like to that. come home yeah. right yeah. <laughs> him wanting to come home and be like did you know about women how they're not paid as much as men and I'm like <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Can we talk about something else? <laughs> so, you know, and we've always been very like politically aligned and things, but but it it has been really interesting. It's like probably a lot of people feel like when their kids go to college and all of a sudden they have their, their minds expanded and then they come home and think they know it all. So, but it it's been great because we have started, you know, ramen, here we go. It's coming up organically. <laughs> One time Ruman Carl and I uh got into a big debate about abortion, and I was very. Pro choice in all circumstances. I want to make it
2: clear. I was. uh, (laughs) I'm also a very pro-choice person, and I don't remember this argument. And I'm like, when Aaron said, "I'm going to bring this up," maybe I was like, "As long as it's organically." (laughs) Um, Okay, keep going. I gotta know what what happened.
0: And Carl and Roman just were more. um, My recollection is we're more along the lines of. Uh, well, okay, but like it can be abused as a method of birth control, and people shouldn't be allowed to have like unlimited abortions. Oh, no, no. Okay, (laughs) hang on.
2: I'm going to play the minority card and and win my side of this argument. (laughs)
0: Okay.
2: (laughs) I'm very pro-choice. Women should control their bodies. Let's get that out of the way. (laughs) Second, I'm an Indian person whose parents came from India, and my dad is one of eight brothers. And um, China, one-child policy. My wife's Chinese-American. Sharon's Chinese-American. in families in countries like India and China, abortions are used to have only boys. Full stop. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying yeah. you legislate that away, but and so maybe that doesn't happen in America, but it's happening in other parts of the country where a boy is worth more than a girl. Yeah, oh, sure. And we're actually what's funny is we're seeing the opposite issue now in China where women are worth <laughs> way more. There's a couple of Vice episodes yeah. where they go to China. Um, but anyway, so I'm pretty sure my it was equal part. I'm a brown person. Kentucky lady <laughs> and the other part was probably me just being um, having fun with you and arguing. I really hope
0: <laughs> i'm I'm sure that was it, but it, you know just to kind of bring yeah, that please, circle I, I think it was uh, now I think Carl and I are just identically aligned on the issue of abortion, for instance, in a way that mm-hmm. we weren't when he worked in r d and not diversity and inclusion. and so I think mm-hmm. that's been interesting to see um, just to like see our conversations on certain subjects evolve yeah.
2: I've known Carl almost as long as I've known Sharon. I met them both around the same time, beginning of my career. And Carl always struck me as a very kind of like righteous individual. And I always wonder, like, why is he an RD? Like, why are you just <laughs> a chemical engineer? You know, like you actually have, and he was doing other things outside of work, right? And do you think you, you kind of inceptioned him into going and becoming a Duke? I
1: think so. I think so, Aaron. <laughs> I think you have that power.
0: Uh, Well, thank you. Um, I don't think so. I I mean, that's one of the things I loved and still love about Carl is he has just always puts his heart and soul into helping people, being part of a team, being part of a community. And I agree with you. The the R&D part of him always seemed a little out of line not that there's anything unethical about R&D, but it just didn't seem as aligned with like his personal passions. And so this diversity and inclusion line of work certainly fits him more. Yeah.
2: We've covered a lot of ground, including um, <laughs> apparently outdated stance. And yeah,
0: <laughs> Roman's losing argument.
2: But we've also had the love. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this whole podcast is Roman's losing argument. I think. Every episode.
0: <laughs> um, well, I mean, I want to be, I don't, obviously I do not condone um, abortions for the sake of controlling like the gender of your child. I, yeah, yeah, Yeah. but ultimately the pregnancy is happening in, in the woman's body and she gets to choose. So,
1: okay. That's all
0: I'm going to say on that.
1: Totally. 100%.
0: 100% 100 behind you.
2: We need an awkward segue. How about speed round, Sharon?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how to segue into speed round, but it is speed round time. (laughs)
2: Aaron, are you ready, you ready for the
1: speed round? Uh, sure, bring it on. All right, what's one thing about you no one expects?
0: One thing about me no one expects is um probably that well, I I list I you know, I I mentioned this in kind of my list of things about me, but I I'm a pretty vocal atheist, but I do um take a silent retreat at a Catholic monastery every year. Is kind of wow, strange that's really cool
1: no that's so awesome
2: um so two-part question uh first are you more of a book movie or tv show person tv show all
0: right which is different than it used to be but TV's so good right now okay <laughs> and we Next have questions question so sorry
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. so what, what's a what's a tv show that has um characters that you really relate to
0: right now what comes to mind is we've been watching the latest season of better call Saul and I think it's um, I don't want to say I relate to Saul Goodman. You know, if you know that character from Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, I definitely don't. But um, not as a person. But I find it to be a very realistic depiction of the legal system in America. And, that was what, that I, was what I was going
2: to ask because like all my doctor friends are like Scrubs is the most authentic doctor show. Is Better Call Saul the most authentic lawyer show?
0: I I find it to be. I, I mean, it it involves like drug cartels, and I don't have any. I don't do any work with like that segment of the world. So I don't really know in that aspect, but yeah, I find that just like it's satisfying to see on television, the correctly courtroom procedures followed. And so, yes, in that aspect, I think it's very realistic.
2: (laughs) Nice. What's your favorite mom dish?
0: Um, so my mom makes a chicken enchilada casserole that is basically nothing but chicken, tortillas, and like lots of cream and cheese. And you bake it in the oven for an hour or whatever. And it's like an affront to actual Mexican cuisine, but it is really good.
2: <laughs> What's your least favorite food?
0: What was I eating recently and I thought, I don't care for this. <laughs> I don't love olives. I guess I'll say that.
2: All right, so Erin doesn't like Mexican people based on her enchiladas, and she doesn't like Italian people based on her olives. (laughs) I'll allow it. All right, all right. Okay, two more questions for you. Who is someone out there that you would want to interview on a podcast?
0: Okay, so so the person I would love to interview for a podcast is um, an LA Times journalist named Barbara Demick who wrote a book. about North Korea called Nothing to Envy. And I have a deep fascination with North Korea. And I would really like to interview her about that book.
2: All right. So I think the deep fascination with North Korea is more of the unexpected fact than the Catholic monastery.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I actually want to go there. um, Please don't. Please don't. When I told my... (laughs) Well, it didn't help that like an actual kid from Cincinnati went there and got arrested and died that, that definitely tempered my desire, but, but I think I'm still going to do it someday.
1: Nice. Um, I think this is a current one, but I am curious. So Aaron, is there a place that you've gone to that you'd like to go back to
0: in terms of travel? Japan. What part of Japan? Literally any part. Um,
2: the part that allows her to sneak into North Korea, apparently.
0: <laughs> it, well, yeah, I'm going to go to North Korea. I'm I'm going to do it someday. I'm not going to tell anybody, but I'm going to go. But yeah, Carl and I went to Japan last year. It was my first time there. We spent three weeks there. I just, I thought it was a wonderful place to travel. It, it's it got to be one of the easiest places to travel, um, but it's different enough from my every day that it's really fascinating and fun. And I just can't wait to go back. Yeah.
1: One of my favorite places in Japan was Kyoto. I love yes. the little town. so beautiful.
0: Yes, absolutely. Let's go. Love to go Miami. there again. Yeah, we'll plan it. Definitely.
1: <laughs> okay, last question. Are you ready? Ready. What does being a model minority mean for you?
0: So I don't often think of myself as a minority, although as a woman, I am certainly a member of like a subordinate culture. And what it means for me is that I just try to act like I don't think about that too much. And it often, I think, can can rub some people the wrong way in the sense that, like, I, I, I don't feel timid about speaking up in meetings. I don't feel timid about walking into the courtroom in my pantsuits. And I, I guess I sort of like the power that, that comes from that. That's fantastic.
2: Yeah, that's an awesome answer. Yeah. I I want to play that back for my daughter in a few years.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Aaron, for spending time
0: with us and for talking to us about your story. Thank you, guys. This has been really fun. Yeah,
2: this is a lot of fun. Thanks so much. And that's our show.
0: Like what you heard?
1: Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For more about this episode, links to things mentioned, or to join the conversation, visit modmypod.com. We'd love to hear from you.
2: And here's a preview of our next episode.
1: And she started asking me where I was from. And, you know, I don't I didn't really want to entertain her because like
2: the fuck, Um, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I, you know, I said, you know, let's let's make a game out of this. I said, where do you think I'm from? Mm -hmm. And she said, Japan. I said, oh, no, that's not right.
1: Yeah. And then she said, China.
2: And I said, well, yes, but that's obvious, isn't it? That's rather easy. And I think kind of playing that game with her was a way of reexerting control over the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you want to play the Asian guessing
1: game? Let's play the Asian guessing game.
2: That's it for now. I've been Raman Segel.
1: And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony.
2: Remember, we're all model minorities out there.
1: We'll talk to you soon.